we were randomly inserted into the cosmos, the chance that we would find ourselves on or near a planet would be less than one in a billion, trillion, trillion. That's a one followed by 33 zeros. In everyday life, such odds are called compelling. Worlds are precious. Can we be trusted with our own future? Are we capable, if need be, of fundamental change? Are we wise enough to know what changes to make? Can we alter our character? Can we improve our societies and find another way to be alive? Or are we too entrenched in traditions? For it is here, and only here, on this little patch of raw Mother Earth, that we are, in some pain and with no guarantees, working out our destiny. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Before I jump into today's message, I want to say I'm happy that you're here today. And I want to say, more importantly, I'm happy that I am here. <laughs> for those of you who don't know, I've been, I've been off for the past few Sundays. And I, we had a fantastic group of people who came up here and spoke in my place. And we thank them. Michael and Kurt and Peter did a great job. But I am glad to be back. Okay. And I, just in case, just so you know my personality. Okay, preparing and standing up here is difficult for me, but sitting down in those seats is a hundred times much more difficult when I'm used to being up here. So I am thankful, first of all, like I said, for the people who covered for me while I was gone. I'm also thankful for all of you and this fantastic church, because why I was off for a few weeks, in case you don't know, is that every year I take four weeks off from preaching on Sundays, and I do that to refresh myself a little bit, kind of take a step back. Um, also a chance for you to be exposed to different people, not just me, because I kind of have one way of looking at things. So I thank you that you are a fantastic church family. And when I'm away, it doesn't mean that people stay away from church as exemplified by, uh, the, all the people right here. So I'm happy to be back and I hope you're happy that I'm back and whether you're not ha happy or not, I am back. Okay. So doesn't really matter. And I am full of energy for today's message because I'm not 40 yet, okay? Still got one more day in my 30s, so I'm going to use up all I got here today. We're wrapping up a series called When Science and God Collide. And what we've been talking about for the past three weeks, and we'll wrap up here today, is science versus God. And what happens when science is, I'm sorry, when God and faith and religion is faced with the truth of what science knows, and many of us think that when that happens, that God and religion will kind of crumble underneath the weight of scientific evidence and proof and laws and things like that. But what we've seen over the past several weeks is that science and God is less of a collision and more of a tag team. Because science and God are not mortal enemies of one another, as we've been led to believe. But science and God are actually partners. And they're actually allies. And this is new for us, the way we were raised. Because most of us, from the 1970s and those raised beyond, okay, the, more, the, the younger you are, the more this applies to you. We grew up to think that either you had science or you had God, but no one would actually have both. Because if you were science, then you basically had to be a militant, an aggressive, non-believing atheist. 
Because only a simpleton would believe in religion. Only a simpleton, a naive, a country boy, okay, would actually believe in something as simple and as naive and ignorant as faith and creator and all that stuff. Like that stuff we teach the Sunday school kids. But once we get to certain levels of education, this is what we were taught, all right? Then that God stuff kind of goes out the window. Well, that's maybe how we were raised. But the point of this series is that we've seen that nothing could be further from the truth is that science is not against God and God is not against science. Science and God are not enemies. Science and God are allies. And in fact, I'm going to go so far as to say this. Not only is science not against God and God not against science, I think that in order to truly know God, you must know science. And in order to be a true scientist, you must know God. I'm going to say not only are they not against each other, but they need each other. And science cannot exist without God. I don't want to say God can't exist without science, but you will never know truly God without science. And I'm going to prove that to you here today because our topic here today is where the two intersect. Ralph Waldo Emerson, famous writer in American history, wrote the following. He said, the religion that is afraid of science dishonors God and commits suicide. The religion that dishonors, I'm sorry, that is afraid of science dishonors God and commits suicide. How can he say that? Well, what is science at its core? What science is, is the study of creation. That's what it is. The study of the cells and the atoms and the stuff. Science is a study of the created world. Can you truly know a creation without knowing its creator? Or let me ask it the other way. Can you truly know the creator without knowing his creation? Can you study Picasso, for example, and never look at any of his paintings and say you truly know Picasso? Can you say you studied the works, the masterpieces of Beethoven and never turned on one of his songs? <laughs> Orchestras? What is it called? Ballads? What would be the proper word there? Melodies? <laughs> Symphonies. Okay. <laughs> so, I'm not a music guy, okay? I knew the sports question. I didn't know the music one, okay? But you get what I'm trying to say. I can't say I know Beethoven and never turn on the radio and listen to his stuff. I can't say I know Picasso and never look at the painting. How can I say I know God without studying that which God created? You cannot separate the creator from the creation. You can't separate the creation from the creator. To know one, you must know the other. I and you do not look at science as against God. We look at science as how we discover the vastness and the beauty of our God. Science gives us the wonder of God. Science tells us, like Kurt talked about in the first week, how big the universe is, and galaxy upon galaxy upon star upon star. And I look at that and say, I don't say, there must be no God. I say, we have a big God. Our God. Like sometimes I look at my life and I feel like, I always say that God is always, your God, in your mind, your perception of God, is always exactly the size of your biggest problem minus one. So if this is your biggest problem, your God is exactly this big. Because if your God was bigger, then this wouldn't be a problem. So in our life, we see God is here, God is here. And we look at the sign and say, no, 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 God is a big God. Because our God holds all that stuff, that billions and trillions and light years and stuff, and that stuff is in the palm of his hand. I look around at the world, and science tells me there's a lot of different species out there. There's a lot of different diversity in nature. There's all kinds of different plants. There's all kinds of different animals. There's all kinds of different uh, creation that's out there, and not even within the, like, look at the animals. 
Okay, how many different kinds of animals there are? Not even within the animals. Did you know that beetles, 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 about the most worthless animal that is imaginable. Like, what's the purpose of a beetle? How many species of beetles are there in the, in the world? One, two, three, four, five. 350,000 different kinds of beetles. Now you say, God, let's say there was only like 100,000 kinds of beetles. Like, who would notice? 200,000. Who would notice? But God says, no, 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 no. All these beetles. That doesn't tell me that God doesn't exist. That proves to me that our God is a beautiful God who loves diversity. You know, they also say that like snowflakes, you know that there's no two snowflakes that are the same? And every snowflake that falls has different uh, makeup or whatever it may be. Like you put it under a microscope, you see something different. That shows me that God, my God loves variety. He loves diversity. However, what I also learned about my God is he's not only a God of diversity, he's a God of diversity and unity. He's a God where all that diversity, all those 350,000 species of beetles working together in one harmony as one beetle nation or whatever it may be. It's accomplished. And our God is a God of order and all the different variety and the bigness, but all like a Beethoven symphony working together. <clears throat> we are not afraid of science. Religion, true religion, true faith is not afraid of science. True faith embraces science to understand and discover the truth about our wonderful, beautiful God. Therefore, I will say the following. The problem in the world is not science. The problem is not science. The problem is when we try to remove the creator from the study of his creation. Science is not the problem. And those who think that we're going to come here and talk about science versus God, we're going to say how science is bad. And don't be science, and don't take philosophy classes, and don't study, and don't talk to people who use big words, and science is bad. I will not say that. In fact, I will say the opposite. We embrace science, but we understand its role. Is the role of science can only fit in the understanding, studying the creation without the creator, that's the biggest mistake that you'll ever make. And I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. Once upon a time, there was a family of mice living inside a piano. Big, huge, grand piano, whatever it may be, in this house, and there was a family of mice living inside that piano. They lived in the bottom of the piano, and they just lived there, and they'd never been outside the piano, whole life lived in that piano. Every day, around the same time of day, they would hear music, beautiful music, the most beautiful and comforting music they ever heard in their life. And every day around that time, they would all wait, and the music would play, and the mice would just be in heaven, comforted in peace, and they said, wow, this is the best thing ever. And if you ask the mice, where does this music come from? They had a belief, and that was there was an invisible player, and they called him the great player, that every day, the invisible great player would show up at four o'clock and out of his love for those mice, he would play a little music just for them because there was no one else in the house. So they figured this invisible person would come and make music and they didn't know where the music was coming from. As far as they were concerned, it played in the whole galaxy, but it was just for them. And they loved their music and they loved the great player even though they had never seen him or never heard him, but they believed in his existence because of the music which they heard. And then one day, a daring mouse decided to sneak out from the bottom of the piano and work his way up to the top. And when he went up there, he made a great discovery. He saw wires. And he stood there and he examined those wires. And then all of a sudden, at 4 o'clock, he saw the wires moved 
And the music came. So he realized, aha, I figured this out. All this great player nonsense was a myth. This was all hocus pocus. There's no great player. The music doesn't come from an invisible man. The music comes from the, the wires. And he went down and told the other mice. And the other mice said, don't be preaching that stuff around here. Okay, we believe in the great play. Don't we preach that? He says, y'all are fools, y'all are naive. And he would take them up one by one and say, see, watch, the wire's going to move and the music's going to come. So stop believing in the great player because it's the wires. And there's little wires and long wires. And the wires move, that's where the music comes from. And he began to preach his gospel down here. And anyone who disapproved of him, they hated him. And he told them they were dumb and he ignored them. A few months later, while his theory is picking up steam, a more adventurous mouse sneaks up again. And he makes another discovery. It's not just wires. It's hammers. It's these wooden block things because logically a wire can't make music by itself. And that's what that was the shortcoming of, of, of the first mouse's theory. So the other guy decided, well, it's, it, can't, it can't be the wires, but it's the hammers. And now, to believe in the existence of a great player is only for the foolish. It's clearly the wires make the music, and what makes the wires move? It's the hammers. So only an idiot would believe in something called a great player. And after that, the idea of the great player became a myth that they just told kids in Sunday school, and no one ever believed in him ever again. Who's the idiot in the story? Forgive me. Who's the idiot in the story? Is the idiot the one who believed in the great player? Or is the idiot the one who removed the player from the story of the piano? And that's exactly what we do today in science, and that's the biggest mistake that science makes, and that's what we will never mistake, is you cannot know the creation without the creator. I say <clears throat> that for science to ignore God, is for those mice to ignore the player. And you and I realize that there's no wire, there's no magic wire in the universe. There's no wire in the universe. There's no wire in the universe that can make music by itself. There's no hammer in the universe that can make music by itself unless there's someone to push those bad boys. You would agree with that? I would agree with that. Well, I'm telling you the music that you see all around us right here, the symphony of the stars and, and the moon and the, and the sun and the planets, and you think that music can make itself? But this, or that music can't make itself, you agree with me there? But that all this stuff can make itself? That, that the music could never run itself? But all this stuff can make itself? It would be foolish <clears throat> for the mice to ignore that, that there must be a great player. But I'll also say this, for those of you who are on the God against science, I would say it's also foolish for those other mice to ignore the technological discoveries that the first mouse made. And do not discover that the wires replaced God, but the wires are the mechanism that God is using to make the music. So I'll say it this way. Here's our key thought for today. Science without faith is foolish. Faith without science is immature, is incomplete. Faith strengthened by science, that's our goal. Science with no faith is foolish. The wires made the music. The hammers moved the wires that made the music. Well, who moved the hammer? Like you play this game. Science without faith is foolish. It's ridiculous. And what we'll see in a little bit, it's actually against science. Science without faith is actually against science. I'll prove that to you in a second. Faith 
without science, I don't want to know anything, I just want to sit here and believe in, is immature. Again, I'm not saying it's bad, but I want to say incomplete. It's not under, it's not the level that it should be. Our goal is to know our master player so well. And the way we do that is by discovering the mechanism by which he works in the universe in which we live. Abraham Lincoln, quotes on your handout, said this. said, I can see how it might be possible for a man to look down upon the earth and be an atheist. I can see how it might be possible for a man to look down upon the earth and be an atheist, but I cannot conceive how he could look up into the heaven and say there is no God. That's good stuff. I can understand how a man could look at this earth and say there must be no God, but I can't understand a man who looks up at the sky and says there's no God in heaven. To think that the world could create itself without the existence of a master player is ridiculous. So for us, it's not science against God. For us, it's not faith against science. For us, it is faith strengthened by science. And I'll give you an example of how we do that. All right, three weeks ago, like I said, Kurt stood up here and Kurt talked about the Big Bang. All right, he talked about how scientists discovered that the earth began with a Big Bang. That's like the theory, the Big Bang theory. We look at the Big Bang theory and say, hey, wait a minute. We, we don't want to believe in Big Bang. We believe in God. Okay, and God created the heavens and the earth. And God said that there'd be light. And God, and God, and God. We don't believe in Big Bang. That's like the mice arguing, is it the wires or the player? Well, maybe it's the player using the wires. You who believe that God created the earth. You believe that and I believe. That's what I believe and that's what you believe. Okay, how did God create the earth? What, what mechanism did he use? Or did it, did, was there a mechanism? Was there a means by which God created the earth? A couple of verses. Okay, they're on your handout. Genesis 1, 3. Or I'm sorry, they're not on your handout. The very beginning, okay, the first thing created was light. And how did light come into creation? It says, then God said, let there be light. Okay, and every day of creation, God said, God said, God said, God said. And we confirm that in Psalm 33, verse 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. So how was the world created when God spoke? By the mouth of God, by the word of God. Let me ask you a hypothetical question. We may never know the answer to this, but hypothetically. When God speaks, what do you think it sounds like? If God were to speak, what do you think it sounds like? You think it'd be soft? You think it'd be loud? You think it'd be like the sound of like rivers? It sounded like thunders. Wouldn't it be great if there was somewhere recorded, somewhere accurate, like, for example, the most accurate book in the history of the world, the Bible. Wouldn't it be great if it was recorded what it sounded like when God spoke? Oh, yeah, I have good news for you. Exodus chapter 19 and 20. Two chapters in the Bible, and it's verse 18 and 19 in both of them. So Exodus 19, 18, 19. Exodus 20, 18, 19. It says one time God spoke. Now, Mount Sinai was completely in smoke. Okay, I'm not getting into the Big Bang and what the world looked like before creation or before what, what they say how the earth came to creation. But those who know, read this. The Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. Next chapter says what he says. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us. We will hear but let not God speak with us lest we die. What do you imagine it sounded like for the people to say, we don't want God to speak anymore because we're afraid. 
I bet you it sounded like a big bang. And I bet you it sounded like a big clap or thunder. And I bet you there was smoke. And I bet you there was haze. And I bet you there was mist. And I bet you there was shaking. And if you go read what the scientists think, again, the big bang is still theory. Like we can't say law. Okay, but what they say about how the earth came into formation and how the continents used to be one and how all that stuff, which I'm not an expert on. But you will be surprised that you will hear a lot of the exact same thing. A lot of mist, a lot of smoke, a lot of thunder, a lot of shaking. Bang. So when you say to me. Science believes in Big Bang. But the Bible says God created the earth. And I will say, well, maybe God created the earth by using a Big Bang. It's not science against faith. It's science strengthening my faith. The leader of the Big Bang Discovery team is named George Smoot. He said the following. What we have at the end of his discovery, what we have is evidence for the birth of the universe. It's like looking at God. In that one sentence, you see exactly the point of science and faith. That's the intersection. The more we discover, the more faith is strengthened. And the more faith is strengthened, the more we can discover and learn about the beautiful ways of God. Other examples. Science tells us the world, the earth, is billions and billions and billions of years old. I don't know what they're dating it at these days, but many, many years at the end. And you say, hey, wait a minute, but the Bible doesn't say that. You know what the Bible says? He says that to the Lord, one day is a thousand years. A thousand years is to one day. That doesn't, does someone tell me the earth is this old, doesn't, doesn't contradict, God doesn't hurt my faith? I tell you, God even said that. He said that one day is not one day. It could be a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day with God. Someone say, you know, the earth is, 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 is uh, the, the galaxies and the universe, all these different things and the law of entropy and chaos and things are going to break itself. You know, there has to be something holding it together. I say, yeah, because our, 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 our Bible teaches us, our faith teaches us that God is not just the creator of the universe. Creation was easy. Creation was easy. God is the sustainer. And the Bible says he is the one who is the upholder of all things. And absolutely, science tells us that if it wasn't for someone holding it together, the place would go to chaos. And that's, that's God. Science tells us that every human being, even though many people may disagree with this, science teaches us this, that every human being, human life begins at conception. That's what science teaches. That's not what the church teaches. That's what science teaches. Well, the church teaches it too, but I'm saying science confirms it. And from the earliest moments of conception, that child is developed, unique, and has DNA and molecules and, 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 and oh, beautiful things. And Michael even spoke last week about the heartbeat, like beautiful things way before that child ever comes out the womb. And we say, you know what? We know that because the Bible taught us. God said before, you were, when you were in the womb, I knew you and I created you intricately woven. So we knew this. This is not a surprise to us. Faith doesn't, is not working against science, but the two are working together. And the more I learn, the more my faith is strengthened. Now, for the traditionalist in the room, for the traditionalist, maybe you grew up somewhere in the South, okay, or maybe very strong, you don't like these newfangled ideas that these young people are teaching these days and the internet, social media's fault somehow, okay. You say, but if what if studying science leads us to doubting our faith? And our youngins shouldn't be studying this nonsense in school. It's just going to make them doubt God. So just tell them to do what we did. Here's a hole, stick your head in that hole and just believe in God, okay? And just believe that everything is, is, is simple and, and uh, don't study too much because all studying be hurting your brain. And, and uh, remember, we grew up and when you hear thunder, that's just God coughing, okay? Like that, that's the kind of... 
Because if we study too much and we ask too many questions and we know too much science, science will swallow up faith, right? Science will swallow up faith if we continue down that route. Look, I agree that at times, okay, at times to protect oneself, and I'll tell a story about myself in a little bit, at times one needs to slow down the asking of the questions to keep himself, okay, protected. I agree at times. However, over the long term, over the course of one's life, I truly believe, I truly believe that God gave us minds and it is the greatest gift that he gave to us because he gave us a mind that he did not give to any else of his creation. We are the crown of his creation. We have something here that no one else had. We are rational beings, rational beings made in the image of God and given the opportunity to learn new things and think and be creative and, and to understand things that none of the other creation can understand. And I believe we must use that not against God, but for the glory of God. And the way we do that is by discovering as much as we can about him and his creation, including ourselves. So I will say that we should never be afraid of science. You know why? I'm not afraid of science because I already know the answer that science is going to point to. I'm not afraid that science is going to make me lose faith in God because I already know that God is not a theory. And I know that science, as I said earlier, not only cannot disprove God, I know that true science proves the existence of God. You don't believe me? There was an anonymous scientist who wanted to remain anonymous who said the following. He said the debate over origins, meaning like creation, evolution, Darwin, all that stuff. The debate over origins is not a debate between Bible and science. It's a debate between good science and bad science. Darwinists are practicing bad science by ruling out intelligent causes before they look at the evidence. Scientists, that, that, that sentence is an important one. Darwinists practice bad science by ruling out intelligent causes before they look at the evidence. Like the opponents of Galileo in the past, they ignore observation. What he's saying, and he goes on to write, he's saying, look, there's only two options of how the world came into being. There's only two options. Either someone made it or it made itself. Okay? Someone made it, creation, or it made itself spontaneous generation. And science has disproved, science has not theorized, has disproved that there's anything in this universe that can make itself. That there's anything that can give life to itself. Everything has to be given life. And then once you're given life, you can... You can pass that life on, but nothing can begin itself. That's a law of science, okay? There's no ball that's rolling down a hill unless someone pushed it down a hill. There, there's no such thing as a life that gave life to itself. Science has disproven that there can be no creator. However, as the man says right here, because we have in our mind, I don't want to believe in a creator, I choose to believe against science, even though in the name, I'm a scientist. Give you another quote here. This is from Dr. James Tour, who is a nanotechnologist. Anyone know what a nanotechnologist is? I looked it up on Google and I didn't understand, so I just put the whole word right here, okay? He studies the technology of nanos, okay? <laughs> he said, I stand in awe of God because of what he has done through his creation. Only a rookie who knows nothing about science would say science takes away from faith. If you really study science, it will bring you closer to God. Said another way, in case you want a picture of that, the more the mouse goes and discovers, the more the mouse studies, and the more the mouse walks around, it's not going to weaken his faith in the great player. It's going to open his eyes to see him one day. And I, as a little mouse in this little world, I want to not just sit with my head buried in the bottom and just say, there's probably a great player, and I don't want to believe the alternative. I want to look around, and I want to discover the stuff. And I know that one day, I'm going to pull my head over that piano, 
and I'm going to see the great player himself, and then I'm going to say, wow, and it's all going to become clear to me. Science does not lead us away from God. True science pushes us towards God because true science says those wires could not have made themselves or pushed themselves. Someone had to design them. Someone had to push them to make them music. And the same way those wires needed a designer, this world needed a designer. This body needed There's no way this thing designed itself. And the same way, even if it somehow designed itself somehow, it needs someone to push it, to activate it, to give it life. Same thing in all the universe. So we are going to stop running from our doubts. We are not going to run from our doubts. We are not going to look at doubt and say, no, 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 just don't ask questions because if we do that, we're, we might discover things that we don't want to discover. We are going to embrace our doubts. And I'm going to give you a new way of looking at doubts. I always say that doubts are not the opposite of faith. Doubts are not the opposite of faith. The opposite of faith is unbelief, and that's completely different. There's a difference between I'm not sure and I know for a fact there is no God. There's a big difference between the two. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. In fact, I think that doubt, if used properly and approached properly, can become a building block for it. Who is the model of doubt in the Bible? Thomas. Poor, poor, poor Thomas. Apostle? No. Missionary? No. Martyr? No. We remember him for none of those things, even though he was all of them. We remember him for only one thing, the guy who doubted. Okay? All the good stuff that he did, flush it down the toilet. We know one thing that he did. He didn't believe when it was his turn to believe. Everyone else believed. He didn't believe. And forever, he'll be called Doubting Thomas. And people who don't know anything about Scripture use the word Doubting Thomas, not realizing it's from the Bible. Thomas, if there's anyone, anyone who had, I want to say, no excuse, if there's anyone who shouldn't have doubted, it was Thomas. Who was Thomas? Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to his disciples, 10 of them. Thomas was missing. And then they told him, Thomas, Jesus is risen from the dead. Thomas, here's why you should believe. Number one, Jesus told you he would rise from the dead. Number two, we're your 10 best friends. We're not lying to you. Like we are, like your flesh and blood. Like we live together. Like we are in the same boat as you. Thomas, three, you saw Jesus do miracles time after time. Four, Thomas, Jesus gave you the ability to do miracles. Like Jesus gave you the ability to heal the sick and raise the dead. So if, if Jesus gave you these things, you should believe. And Thomas didn't believe. One day, he met Jesus, and Jesus faced him. What did Jesus do when he met Thomas in his doubt? Did he scold him? Did he yell at him? Did he castigate him and shun him to say, Oh, ye of little faith, what's wrong with you? You moron, didn't I tell you? What did Jesus do? John chapter 20, verse 27. He said to Thomas, reach your finger here. Look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. What did Jesus tell him to do? He said, Thomas, reach. He said, Thomas, look. Thomas, touch. He told him, what he didn't tell him is, Thomas, stick your head in the sand. And I told you I'm risen means I'm risen. He said, stick your head above the piano and see for yourself. Did you're struggling to believe that there's a great player? Come here. Come here. I'm not afraid of science. I'm not afraid of discovering. 
You want to know where the music comes from? Come here. You saw the wire? Well, come look what the wire is connected to. And come look what that's connected to. And come look who's the one who's making the wire move. It's me. Jesus didn't, didn't, didn't reject him. Jesus embraced his discovery and told him, yeah, ask questions. Yeah, read books. Yeah, but make sure you read the right books. And make sure you have the right approach. And make sure you don't try to remove the creator from his creation. And make sure you don't just listen to your professor, but you balance it out with other people and you, you do things wisely. Think of doubt. <clears throat> doubt is like an immunization shot. Y'all know what an immunization shot is? Like a flu shot. Y'all know what a flu shot is? I discovered this a few years back. This rocked my world here. Okay, in case y'all didn't know this. You're going to the doctor to not get the flu. And do you know what they shoot you with? <laughs> this is not surprise to you. Y'all are okay with this? <laughs> they shoot you with the flu. No one is surprised by this except me. <laughs> I'm going and saying, I don't want the flu. They're saying, okay, here's the flu. But the point of it is, is that by giving me a tiny, itsy, bitsy little flu, and then making me sit in the office for, you know, two hours afterwards or whatever it may be, they're seeing if I put this itsy, bitsy little inside, then he'll fight against it and his body will be stronger. He will build up the immunity against this thing. I believe doubt is the same way. Doubt is like a tiny little flu virus. And yeah, it stinks when you get that little flu virus and it stinks when you have little flu symptoms. But if your body can endure it and you approach it the right way and you try to handle it, Face on, not run from it. Uh, you approach it the right way. It'll make you stronger. Some of the greatest apologists and believers in Christian history were people who started as doubters and sought answers to their questions and it made them the strongest. One example is a man named Lee Strobel. Okay, Lee Strobel is a great author and Christian apologist who started out as an, a, an atheist and not only an atheist, he set out to disprove Christianity. Basically, he was married, and one day his wife became a Christian. And when his wife became a Christian, in his own words, she became no fun. <laughs> so he set out to disprove Christianity. And he was like an investigative journalist for whatever Chicago newspaper. So he said, you know what? I need my fun wife back, not the boring wife. So therefore, I'm going to disprove Christianity. He did the study, did the interviews, looked at history, did all this stuff. And now he's a very strong proponent of Christianity. And he wrote great books, one of which I put on the back of your handout, The Case for a Creator, as some additional reading that you may want to check out. Another example, I know many of you have read C.S. Lewis. If you read C.S. Lewis, you go find out his story. C.S. Lewis didn't start off as a Christian. C.S. Lewis started off as someone who didn't believe in nothing, and in his search to discover the truth, became the strongest of all proponents. Best example even beyond C.S. Lewis and Lee Strobel is the guy you're looking at right in front of you right here. I was always grew up in the church, but as I've shared many times, is that I was never like firmly planted. I went away to college, and I knew... I believed in God. I didn't know why I believed in God. I just knew I believed in God. I lived in a house with eight guys in my, my, my third and fourth year. And one of those guys was an, an atheist. Okay, we were an eclectic group. We were very diverse, okay? I was the Christian guy. Like, I was just, because I went to church, like, on Christmas and Easter, I was, like, the spiritual guy. Okay, that's in the house. Carl was his name. Carl was not a believer. And Carl would ask me hard questions. And he would say, how do you believe in this? How do you believe in this? And I didn't know what I believed. I just knew I didn't like him. Okay, that's, that's what I knew. So it came a point in time where I'm just like, Carl, leave me alone. I don't understand those things, and I don't want to think about it. And that goes back to what I said in the beginning. And there may be a time where you need to protect yourself from the questioning and the discussion. You need to protect, and I protected myself, but because I'm a competitive person. I couldn't let Carl win by the end of the year. 
So I made it my goal to find out the answers. And once I found out those answers, Carl couldn't shake me. And I ended up asking him questions that he couldn't answer. All right, and then we never spoke about that again, okay? <clears throat> but my point is, the doubt made me stronger. Had the doubt never been injected into my system, I never would have studied and been able to answer the questions. So a little bit of doubt won't kill you. There's only two kinds of people in this world. People who have doubts and people who don't care. And I would rather be a person who doubts and asks questions and reads books and listens to, 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 to lectures versus a person who doesn't care about my relationship with God. And if you care, there's no, and I'll tell you, I'm the first one. There's no such thing as a person who cares, who never doubts. You'd be lying if you say that you never had a thought to say, how do we know if God really exists? Do we really know God exists? That doesn't make you a heretic. It makes you a human being with a brain. You'd be lying if you never said, how do we know Jesus was really rose from the dead? Like, how do we know that? How do we know there's life after death? Like, we really believe it? How do we know it? How do we know that what the Bible says is true? Like, how do we know? That doesn't make you a bad person to ask. I think if you ask it and you seek the answer, that's the key, is to seek the answer, not just ask it and just stay. Think of it a different way. If you have a, a flu virus, you have a flu virus for a week, that's okay. If you've had a flu virus for six months, that's bad. That's life-threatening. And if you're struggling with doubts for years without getting it addressed, that's a very dangerous situation. But I will never, I will never resist the doubts. I will embrace them, and I will find solutions to them. A man named Gary Parker wrote a book called The Gift of Doubt. He said, if faith never encounters doubt, if truth never struggles with error, if good never battles with evil, how can faith know its own power? Thomas' doubt led to being a missionary, a martyr, a great saint for the church. Lee Strobel, C.S. Lewis' doubt led to being great and, and prolific writers and apologists for Christianity. My doubt with Carl led me to stick it to Carl in his face and led to, led to this belief that I have today. And I'm saying with you, don't be afraid of doubts. Don't be afraid of asking questions. Don't be afraid of reading books. Like, the goal of this series, now that we wrap up the series, the goal of this series, I hope and I pray, the goal of this series was not to answer all your questions about science and God. We'd be here all day and all night. We barely scratched the surface. We just chose three kind of uh, 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 hot topics, okay? And we just threw, threw these three topics. But my hope was to arouse in you a holy curiosity, a holy, holy curiosity, to discover the one who created everything and through his creation to know him more. And we just barely scratched the surface. Like I said, I put on the back of your handout some, some additional reading resource. I gave you a great book by Lee Strobel called The Case for Creator and then a fantastic website. Okay, and that website has tons of articles and they gave you the category of faith and science, which if you want to read more, I didn't want to get specific articles because it's really just a plethora to choose from. But any of the topics that we talked about here, you can find much more information on that website but I hope, I hope that we put inside you, I hope as a little mouse and a little piano, that you don't just stop at discovering the wires, that you keep on searching until you find the great player himself and you see him in all his beauty. That means reading. That means asking questions. That means whatever it takes to not just know the creator, but also know his creation and to know him more by that. I want to finish up this series with two quotes. One modern day, one a little more classic. Robert Jastrow, 
who used to be uh, 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 a leading person in NASA several years back, wrote the following. He said, the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peak. And as he pulls himself over the final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. It's not science versus theology. It is science and theology. And let's go to the most famous scientist of all time, Mr. Sir Isaac Newton. He said, gravity may explain the motion of the planets, but it cannot explain who set the planets in motion. God governs all things and knows that all knows all that is or can be done. A wise person once said, every ology is actually a branch of theology. And I believe that. Every ology, every study of any created matter is ultimately a study of the creator himself of theology. And it is not God against science. It is God plus science. It is not the scientists or the theologians. In fact, Kurt, remember at the beginning of the series, Kurt said, I want you all to be scientists. He said, I'll make you all scientists. Well, I say, I'll make you all theologians. And I see there's no difference between the two. No difference between studying the creator and his creation. And we have to unite these two together because they truly are one journey. Let's stand together and say a prayer. <clears throat> In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us and your care for us. Thank you for making us rational beings and giving us a mind to ask questions and discover new things and learn more about your creation and ultimately to learn more about you. Help us, Lord, to never fall into the trap of separating the creator from his creation. Help us every time that we see, discover something in science or read an article that it doesn't take us away from you, but it, it helps us to discover your great beauty, your vastness, the wonder, Lord, of who you are and all that you created in this world. Give us to, 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 to look up at the sky and to see not just stars, but to see the creator of the stars and to look at this creation on this earth and not just see it, but to see the one who's standing behind it, making it all into a beautiful symphony and giving us a chance to be part of it. Pray, Lord, for blessing for every single person, those who are struggling with doubts that only you know, those who are struggling with ideas, Lord, that can't seem to get answers, I pray that you would be their answer and you would provide for them a path to strengthen their faith through whatever trial they may be going through. Pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, the prayers of all your saints. Hear us, Lord, as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, Deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.